Hey, if you're here, raise your hand. I see you. (laughs) Well, now that we're together, let's get right down to it. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We have an exceptional guest for you in this episode. The third interview with legendary songwriter Dean Dillon. In 2020, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, country's highest honor. And in 2002, he was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. The songs of Dean Dillon are loved by many. Tennessee Whiskey, The Chair, Marina Del Rey, A Lot of Things Different, Miami, Miami, and so many more. His songs have thrived. Speaking of thriving, the Paul Leslie Hour has been going on for 19 years thanks to your support. We're not done yet. Simply visit thepaulleslie.com slash support and you'll know what to do. Now we take you to St. Augustine, Florida, where your host, Paul, spent a few moments with country music icon Dean Dillon. Paul would like to give a warm thanks to Susie Dillon and Howard Jackson Curry for helping make this interview a reality. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to be joined by Dean Dillon. This is his third time on this show, but the first time face-to-face. A couple of times by phone, it's a pleasure to be right here up close and personal. Thank you for doing this. Sure thing. So I just watched you. I was watching you use Soundcheck there. What what is it like for you when you take the stage and perform? Well, I'm older, so remembering words is real important. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, uh, you know, you always want to go give your best. You know, so I try to suck myself up and ask the Lord to give me a great show. And most of the time he delivers, it's usually my fault when I don't. So, But uh, we'll see what we can do tonight. Would you say, is the stage, is it a comfortable place? For me? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a... Obviously not a twenty-five, thirty thousand seater guy, but being a songwriter, you know that's probably a little bigger two room for me anyway. Uh, I feel comfortable in you know anything from two to five hundred because I feel like I can get my point across in my songs, and and that's important to me, you know, that uh, people enjoy what I'm doing. And they can appreciate it, so, yeah. Go ahead, brother. All right. Would you say there were certain vocalists who influenced you? Uh, Haggard. James Taylor. Went and saw James Taylor when I was 16, and, and uh, what got me about him wasn't necessarily as his style or his voice, but his style of music was so far removed from country music at the time because country was one, four, five. And, and uh, his melodies just enthralled me. And uh, I thought if you could take those type of melodies and put them with a great country lyric, you'd have a really different sound. And, uh, you know, thus came songs like 
<clears throat> Nobody in his right mind, Marina Del Rey, the chair, that kind of stuff. Was influenced by him. Vocally, you know, Haggard was the man. <laughs> Loved Merle. Uh, you know, and when I first met George and heard him singing, uh, I really appreciated what his ability was, man. He was a great singer, you know. And uh, I think that's a lot of the reason why I wrote so hard to try to get some cuts on him, you know. Yeah. In the documentary Tennessee Whiskey, there's, there's, you get to see clips of, of you going on stage with George Strait. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like? To Pretty crazy. Crazy. Get to walk on stage with your hero, you know, and sing some stuff that uh, he's recorded or y'all have written together. And, and, uh, and in front of about 30,000 people, it's pretty wild. You know, I was in Nashville just just after the you got named for the Country Music Hall of Fame, and I was looking up. There's this huge, huge banner, and it's a picture of you, Hank Williams Jr., and uh, Marty Stewart. So, it, being those kinds of honors, the Country Music Hall of Fame, Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, how many hits? I'm, I'm serious about this question. I really want to know, do you feel like you're the king of the mountain? I feel like I've climbed the mountain. I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm king of the mountain by no means, but I, I feel like I've climbed it. You know, I've, I've given my whole life to it. Uh, like I said, from the time I was seven years old, picked up a guitar, saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan's show, and decided I wanted to do that. And, uh, you know, my relationships with the artists, Kenny Chesney, Toby Keith, Leanne Womack, and, and especially George Strait, you know, what can I say? They just, I think I've written 37 songs for Toby Keith. He's cut every one of them. Kenny's the same way. Leanne wrote a bunch of her stuff. And, and in Boston, I, you know, uh, just had a, a uh, uh, stupendous career together as a as a songwriter and an artist. You know they weren't all mine. His his sixty five number ones weren't all mine, but I lucked out, and got a few of them, and uh, it was real gratifying f- for me when I started writing with him and his son Bubba. Hmm. Uh, I kind of knew George would be a great songwriter because he's a great song picker. And uh, I didn't know about Bubba, but I was pleasantly surprised the first time we wrote together, how quick on the draw he was. You know, so we've we've uh, had a great relationship in that area for the last, what, 10, 12 years. It's just been, you know, and to get get into the Hall of Fame, is actually the most humbling thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Hmm. You know, I I still want to tear up when I think about it because, you know, I think there's only eight songwriters in the Hall of Fame. And to be one of those eight is, uh, it's, it's quite an honor. You know, your, you, uh, your life flashes before your eyes, so to speak. It did mine, you know, when they told me I was going to be inducted. And, and uh, 
But I, I know this, I've put in the work, hmm. you know, I've definitely put in the work for it. And uh, to have them recognize it was just amazing. Well, one thing I like to do is, is keep the name of some of the songwriters who aren't with us anymore alive. And this is a good time to do this because uh, we had a question that was submitted to us mm -hmm. from Amanda Colleen Williams and uh, her father, the late, great Kim Williams. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know, tell us another East Tennessee songwriter like Kim Williams, Williams, ask him what it was like co-writing with Kim Williams and if you have any story. Kim was one of the most challenged uh, physically guys that I'd ever been around. He got burnt up basically in a, in a factory fire from his head to his toes, you know, so it, it did a lot of internal damage. And uh, the first time I was around him, I couldn't help but notice how jovial the guy was, hmm. you know. That's one of the first things that I noticed about Kim was he didn't let that impede his life in no way, you know, and his songwriting ability was second to none. I mean, he was as good as they get. And uh, it made it real easy for me to write with him, you know. Uh, sometimes you stand with people and, and uh, it's a struggle. But being around him and his attitude toward, toward life and toward songwriting, toward his family, you know, I was around his family a lot, too, and uh, it was a pleasure. You know, he wrote, wrote some great songs, big Garth Brooks records, and, and uh, it was always fun. I'll say that about it. Always fun being around him and writing with him. I know you spend quite a bit of time here in Florida, and for all the people out there, we're filming this in St. Augustine, Florida. And I'm curious about this. You play in Key West sometimes. Uh, you've written some songs that are, you know, bo sometimes boating or uh, some of the Chesney stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what does a guy like Dean Dillon think about Jimmy Buffett? I think he's got his own thing. That's for darn sure, you know, <laughs> and uh, made a darn good living doing it. And I appreciate what he does. You know, he he uh, developed his own style, man, and 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 brought water and beach to people <laughs> around the world for sure. Uh, great showman, great singer, great band. Uh, I got my island in me probably in the '80s when I met Hank Cochran. Hank Cochran was my mentor. And I went to his house the first time I met him and uh, stayed up with him at 4 o'clock in the morning. And he asked me what, if I wanted to go to the Bahamas with him the next morning. I said, duh. So we get on a plane. We fly to Fort Lauderdale, jump on a puddle jumper over to Marsh Harbor, a water taxi over to Green Turtle Key, and walk on a boat called The Legend. 
And we spent the better part of the next four years on that boat, on the water. And, uh, you know, just going everywhere. And then, you know, going to, we started going to the Bahamas some and, and, uh, and then when I established my relationship with Chesney, you know, he was down in St. John, started going down there some and, and hanging out. But I always loved the ocean. I loved the vastness of it and the, and the turquoise water in the Caribbean and, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't think I've written a lot of, a lot of big songs in a room. You know, it's always been on a boat, in the sand, uh, at a farm, at a ranch. You know, I, I, I cut my teeth in an eight by 12 foot room, you know, but once I found Hank and, uh, you know, he told me, he said, man, I've written some of my biggest songs, not in Nashville. And, and that holds true for myself. I've written most of my big songs, not in Nashville. You know, I still don't hold Nashville dear for sure. Uh, it'll always have a big place in my heart, but yeah, I get a lot, I get inspired by moving around. It's like, I've told my wife, this on a couple occasions that I never felt like anywhere I've ever lived has, was really home. Hmm. Because I, I've, I just always have this wonderment in my head. Well, what's that place feel like? What's this place feel like? You know, and uh, the water and boats have always made me comfortable. There's no, there's no other feeling like living on a boat and walking off that boat after you've been on it for six months and having sea legs. <laughs> There's no other feeling like that. You know, it's, it's, it's just the boat's way of telling you, you're going to miss this. Get back on me. That's where the fish are, of course. <laughs> yeah. I saw you performing in Gainesville, Georgia at mm -hmm. the, the John Gerard Festival there. When you started to play Tennessee Whiskey, mm -hmm. you could have heard a pin drop. It's one of those songs, and I mean, I've heard people perform it from David Allen Coe to uh, there was a, a young black woman one time on the street in, in Nashville singing it just on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. It is a song that it pulls people in. It has a magnetism to it. Can you define what it is? What's the magic behind Tennessee whiskey? I think the chorus. The chorus. You're the smoothest Tennessee whiskey. You're as sweet as strawberry wine. You're as warm as a glass of brandy. And I stay stoned on your love all the time. I don't know what else you could say to a woman that could top that. You know, I don't. And, and uh, But I had a great co-writer on that song, Miss Linda Hargrove, God Rest Her Soul. Uh, when we got together that night at her place, I'd gone to see her at, see her at the Bluebird and, uh, we got to talking after her show was over and I told her about the idea and we went back to her place and wrote the song and I thought we had something special. Uh, and it wasn't long before David cut it, David Allen and did a 
I thought a bang up job on it. And then John's got a hold of it. And, uh, I mean, man in the day, he slayed that song. And, uh, that song stayed number two for six weeks only because of it. If I said you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me? I mean, that was a hard one to top. And then years, 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 years later, I'm sitting at the house. My phone rings. I pick the phone up. It's Ronnie Bowman, the Elvis Bluegrass. And he says, listen to this. And he holds the phone up to uh, the monitors in the studio. And it's Chris Stapleton singing Tennessee Whiskey. And it blew my mind. You know, I love all genres of music. I really, really do. I love all of it. And, uh, but it blew my mind because his, the first time I met him, Leanne Womack called me and said, Hey, I want you to play a Riders in the Round at CRS with me. And I sat down next to him, didn't know him from Adam. And, uh, he went first and I looked at her after he got through like I could kill her. <laughs> How do you follow that? You know? That voice is just unbelievable. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say this about Chris Stapleton. I think, I think he's one of the best singers of our time. I really do. I believe he is. You know, he's in the top two, in my opinion. And he just slayed it. He slayed that song. And, it, and that song has a magnetism, not just in country music, but R&B, soul, you know, a lot of different genres uh, that song fits into with his version. Yeah. And uh, I think I checked my phone yesterday. Some Somebody sent me a text. My daughter, where that song sold 10, 13 million records. It's just been incredible. Wow. Incredible. And so I want to thank him for my retirement. <laughs> I was talking to Mac McAnally one time, and he was telling me that on a on a record or in a show, you have to have space for songs that aren't, you know they're not hits. They're not hits, but there's going to be people out there that it's going to find a place inside. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think he's spot on. Yeah. You know, I include a lot of those songs in my shows. Uh, I've got a great gospel song called Lunatic Liar Lord. Yeah. Uh, and there's some other things that I put in there that weren't hits, but they're great songs and, and, and people love them. They, you know, they come up to me after the show and, and say, man, that hits home. Yeah. You know, if, and if you can have one person come up to you after a show and say, say something about one of your songs, you know, I think you've done your job for the night. Yeah. Well, that song you mentioned, Lun Lunatic Liar of the Lord, mm -hmm. uh, recorded as Jonas, right? Right. By Mo Pitney. Yep. After that show, God rest his soul, great songwriter Bruce Birch, who passed away over the last year, he called me, and he, he was at that show too, and he said, what was that song? He said, I'm looking for that song. Yeah. I That's, wrote that with a guy named Tom Douglas. Yeah. And uh, who's another great songwriter, man. And, and I'll say this, you know, my career, I've, I've, I've been blessed 
with writing the be- with the best, and and uh, it wasn't definitely ain't all about me. You know, I've bless- been blessed with some of the greatest songwriters I've ever put a pen to paper. And uh, Tom and I got together one day, and and uh, I'd had that on my heart for a while. I wondered what it was like for the people that were actually there when they hung him on the cross. Hmm. Such a powerful song. Yeah. I mean, what was that like to those people? And uh, we tried to put it in words as best we could, you know. But it gets a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it it gets to people. I know it gets to me, even when I talk about it. Uh, Just a a powerful message. You know, the first interview that we did, you were talking about how it was either the first or the second. You were talking about how your ancestors, you found out, were, were musical mm-hmm. people. And, you, you know, you, your children being having that songwriting gift. Mm-hmm. What's it like when you when you think about your 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 children carrying on this this songwriting craft? I'm so proud of them. Just proud as I can be. I met my dad when I was 34, and uh, we went on a little ride one day up in Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area. He said, your grandparents are buried in that cemetery over there. He said, your grandfather was a guitar player and a singer, and your grandmother played pipe organ in a church. And that was it. You know, I came to the realization that that's where I got my music from because nobody else in my family on my mother's side or my father's side played at all. And uh, and then when my children came along and showed interest in it, which Jessie Jo, my middle one, she kept it from me. <laughs> For the longest time, and then uh, she goes to a year of college out in California and comes home one day, and she goes, I got this idea for a song, and I was in total shock. But uh, but her English teacher told me, you know, she's a pretty good writer, but she never, she was so shy, she'd never play me anything. And so we wrote this song, and next thing you know, it's number one record, and, and then I'm sitting here, what, 20-some years, 20 or 15 years, 16 years later, and a girl has just blown it up, you know? Uh, Tremendous songwriter. I have twin boys. They both write. Uh, My youngest song is a little bundle of fire, man, as a songwriter. She's going to really be great. And you got a good start on it now. You know, I just, it's fun to watch your kids love something as much as you do, Hmm. you know. And uh, I'm glad they love songwriting. (laughs) I brought with me a a vinyl copy of the first solo record you did, Slick Nickel. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the recordings that you've made? I've gotten a lot of pleasure listening to those. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I thought they were good records. 
uh, I don't think I ever walked away from it thinking they were great records. And the reason I say that is because I'm not a great singer. And somewhere in life along the way, you're, you're going to learn what you're good at. And it, it took a guy like George Strait to help me find what I was good at. You know, I remember walking in his office and playing him 20 songs one day, and he didn't like anything. And then he said, as I was walking out the door, he said, there is this one thing you have, and I'd love to record it. And he told it, told the name of the song to me, and I said, well, that's the first single off my new album. And uh, Tony Brown was sitting with him, and he, <clears throat> he chimed in, and he said, I'll tell you what, you give us that song, I promise you a number one record. Well, I did the quick math in my head, and uh, at the time I had three babies under four. And I thought, you know what, this beaten road is, is uh, not good for those kids. George sings his brains out. So what do you really love to do when, you, when you're around music? And I decided I loved writing songs. That's what I love to do. I, I, I like to sing, but I didn't love to sing. And at that time, I told him, take it. And I walked in down the street a couple of blocks and walked in Atlantic and told him I was done. And... Uh, I can honestly tell you that I've never looked back one day and said I made a mistake. Uh, what I've been given and what I've been blessed with since that day and before that day in the songwriting world has just been phenomenal. You know, it just, uh, I go to bed at night sleeping pretty good feeling about the way I, I've uh, been blessed with, with that craft of writing songs. Well, Dean Dillon, such a pleasure to sit down and, and do this face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. I always like to let my guests take the floor or, or, or take the stage, so to speak. Totally open-ended. For anybody who's tuned in with us, whether they're just a music fan themselves or a songwriter, what would you say to anybody who's with us? Follow your dream. You know... I can't imagine being someone who doesn't love what they do, you know. Um, I'd be a hobo if I weren't good at writing songs. But being that hobo sure wouldn't be as fun as writing those songs. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, I just can't phantom somebody that doesn't do what they love to do life's too short way too short you know to do something that that just doesn't enthrall you you know one more quick little question did Virgil ever inspire anything that you wrote <laughs> <laughs> that dog inspires me every day I get up <laughs> I he, figured he's the best 
we've got a my wife Susie and I we have a a pup he's four years old Virgil and he's just he's a Moyen poodle which French means medium he's a 30 pounder and he's just the best and normally uh, he flies with us wherever we go but this was such a quick trip we decided to leave him with one of his buddies but uh He's awesome. Well, Dean, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. That's a wrap. You know, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people like you. Listeners, viewers, please go to thepaulleslie.com slash support, and you'll know what to do when you're there. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who contributes. Performance of The Entertainer intro song by John Primerano. And of course, this is your announcer speaking. See you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.